Hello and welcome back to Season 6 of the Referendum Podcast, brought to you by FinFlamSports.com with your host Big John and lead analyst Jesse J. Welcome back to the Week 17 Review, and this is the Referendum. I am your host, Big John, brought to you by FinFlamSports.com, and we are live here with Jesse J. Jesse, how you doing? Good. How about you? Pretty good. A uh, interesting week, past three weeks of football. We haven't had a show um, for about three weeks now. A lot of headlines uh, going into Week 18, but before we go there, can you go ahead and break down the playoff situations as it stands right now, at least in the standings? So as of right now, in the AFC, you have four teams that have locked in their playoff spots. You have Baltimore, who will be the one seed. Miami, who is currently the two seed, and they have clinched a playoff spot. The Chiefs, who are locked into the three seed, and they have clinched their playoff spot. Jacksonville, who is holding the fourth seed uh, and leading the AFC South. Cleveland Browns, who have clinched a playoff spot. They will be the fifth, they will be the fifth seed wildcard team. And currently, the last two spots are held by Buffalo at 10 and 6. And Indianapolis at nine and seven as the, the last two wild cards in the AFC. Going to the NFC, you have San Francisco locked in as the one seed. Dallas is the two seed. They have close a playoff spot and they can be the NFC East champions and win the number two seed with a win against Washington next week. You have the Detroit Lions who have won their division and they are currently the three seed. They could move up to the to the two seed with a loss from Dallas and a win in week 18 for the Lions. Tampa Bay is currently holding. The NFC, uh, the the lead in the NFC South at eight and eight. Philadelphia is eleven and five. They will be the five seed. The Rams have clinched a playoff spot at nine and seven. They are the six seed currently. And then the last spot is currently held by the Green Bay Packers. So now we will go into. We're going to go back to the AFC, and I'll give you a list of the teams still alive. It is Houston and it is Pittsburgh as the last two teams alive in the AFC that currently aren't holding a playoff spot. And in the NFC, it is the Seattle Seahawks at as the eighth seed, the New Orleans Saints at the ninth seed, and the Minnesota Vikings as the tenth seed. So you have there's only two teams in the AFC, and you said the Houston Texans and who's the other one? Houston Texans and Pittsburgh Steelers that are that do not hold playoff seeding that could make the playoffs that are in the hunt. Yes, and then in in the NFC there are three teams in the hunt, which are who again? It is Seattle, the Seattle Seahawks, New Orleans Saints, and then Minnesota Vikings. So Atlanta's officially out. Oh, and Atlanta, they're 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 down the list. Atlanta can still win the NFC South. I believe they need a Tampa loss and they need a victory in Week 18. And they need a what? They need a Tampa loss and I believe they need a win to have a shot to win. Okay, so they, they don't need New Orleans to to lose them because at, uh, Seattle, I mean, um, New Orleans and well, Tampa Bay Atlanta, both have the same record. Atlanta needs to beat. Yeah, well, if Atlanta's going to make playoffs, they need to beat the Saints and they need the Panthers to beat. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ugh, well, the way Baker played this week or this past week, I don't know. Okay. Well, thank you, Jess. I appreciate that. A lot of good, interesting scenarios are going to come up in week 17. I'm surprised that there's only two teams left in the hunt for the AFC. Oh, uh, yeah. Expected more. We saw a lot of teams get eliminated. I believe the Bengals and the Broncos both got eliminated this week. 
It's going to be interesting. Um, you think Joe Burrow, before we get into that, into the, the, the big topics of the past three weeks, do you think that Joe Burrow could have um, saved that team from winning a couple a couple games after the way he was playing after that one and five start? Yeah, I think there's a chance Cincinnati could have been in the hunt for a uh, for a wild card. I do not think they would have won the division, but I think they would be in the in the hunt for a wild card position. To me, they probably have an extra two wins if Burrow doesn't get hurt. They're they're right. They're right there hanging around Buffalo, probably around 10 and 6. Okay. That's, uh, 10 and 7, you mean? No, 10, 10, and, 10 six. and 6. Yeah, 10 and 6 going into week 18. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and break down this show. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, and the format has changed for this week, is Russell Wilson was benched. And he may be released in March. What the hell is happening in Denver? And are they that irresponsible with their money that they regret paying him that much money for an injury clause that he would not refuse to, to um, fix his contract for. There, there's a Sean Payton to me is an overrated coach. I don't think he's that good of a coach. And a few weeks ago, there, there was this whole thing has been actually since the beginning of the year, this whole situation between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson has been boiling over and it was came to a simmer, came to a boil, and it boiled over a few weeks ago when um Sean Payton was going ballistic on Russell Wilson for no apparent reason. Russell Wilson did nothing wrong. The Broncos actually could have challenged two touchdowns and Sean Payton decided not to. He proceeded to go ahead and go ballistic on Russell Wilson. There was never any reason given. And um, I don't know if Russell Wilson may have went to the sidelines after he came back and said, well, why didn't you challenge this? Therefore questioning Sean Payton's um, ability to coach. But you know what? If you're leaving points on the board, more so than the offense, because we did our job. Russell Wilson is being treated unfairly in Denver, and he deserves better for what he's done in this league. It's extremely wrong, and Sean Payton should be the coach gone. Not Russell Wilson, who's the player, should be gone. What are your thoughts on this whole situation, Jess? So when it comes to this situation, it's clear that Sean Payton doesn't want Russell Wilson, that when he took this job, he really wasn't wanting Russell Wilson to be his quarterback. But because they were locked into him, uh, they had him play, and it – and if you've seen this season, there's been a lot of times where they haven't clearly been on the same page. I think the big issue is that Sean Payton just does not like Russell Wilson as like maybe maybe personality wise or just as a player, perhaps both. But it's clear that that relationship was not going to be long term. And yeah, basically, they asked him to remove his injury guarantees so that he would basically be giving up money and it was basically an attempt to, okay, we'll keep you if you restructure your contract and you give up some of your guaranteed money. But if you don't, we're just going to bench you and get rid of you. And that's, we could see the Broncos maybe get in trouble for that because I don't think you can, I think you can, you can bench a player to bench them and just for performance. But when you actively start talking about contract stuff, if there is a trail of that, that could be an issue for the Broncos. But th this clearly wasn't going to be a long-term thing. It seems like those are two conflicting personalities. Well, at the same time, you have Geno Smith, who who's in Seattle now, um, tweeting um, to his former teammate, free three after the Broncos benched him. Um, Russ said they came to him and actually in October to ask him to do it, and he said no. And I don't think he should have done it. That's his money. They sold the farm because they have all that money. Now they don't want to fucking deal with the fact that they got to pay him that much money because they made the mistake to do that. He should take all his money he's owed. Well, yeah, and I hope and, he finds another job. And the, the, the main issue and the crux of the problem is that if Russ had gotten hurt, 
it would have guaranteed another, I believe, 31 or 32 million on top of the 50 they owe him or on top of like the 52 or 53 they owe him. So it means $85 million would have been owed to Russell Wilson in guarantees. And it's clear that they're willing to eat the $50 million, but they weren't willing to eat the $85 million. They, they clearly, even, even if Russell Wilson had redone his deal, he wasn't going to be the long-term quarterback for the Broncos. He was going to be there probably next season, and then they were probably going to move on. Uh, they're they're going to probably move on anyways now, just because I don't think that relationship is repairable. So it just it, this entire situation is the Broncos traded for Russell Wilson. Sean Payton does not want Russell Wilson, and they were looking for any way to either lessen his cap hit so they can move off of him going into 2025, or right now they're just going to eat it and – split the cap hit up the probably he's probably gonna be a post june 1st cut which means that the cap hit will be broken up over two seasons i would expect for the broncos to be in the market for a veteran quarterback maybe they trade up and try to get somebody but at bare minimum they're going to be adding a couple quarterbacks to their room well it's unfair um to russell wilson and let me just say this on the fact that sean payton was going ballistic on on Russell Wilson, for no apparent reason of any wrongdoing of Russell Wilson himself. Understand the game The game of football has changed. I, so some people can take that, that coaching. But in today's game, you can't do that anymore. And you know what? Nick Saban does the same shit. But he does that to the, fact, to, the, to, to the effect of, I need to get through to somebody else. Sean Payton's doing it just to be an asshole because he is an asshole. Well, it, it, just like, real, real quick, Jess. The... Let me just tell you where the tree that, that he comes from. He comes from one of the greatest coaches in the NFL in history, and that's the Bill Parcells tree. Bill Parcells was in your face. He was rough. He was tough. Sean Payton, to me, is not as good as Bill Parcells. Todd Haley also comes from the same tree. Two assholes, but they lack compassion. I have never, ever seen, and I watched the entire career of Drew Brees, where Sean Payton did that to Drew Brees. And you know what? Russell Wilson... Is a calm, cool, collected person throughout his entire history. He may be a certain diva in the locker room, which is why they say there are certain reports that Sean Payton didn't like the fact that Russell Wilson got his own office. But still, you can't treat people that way. If I was the actual owner of the team and I saw this happening because I fucked up, the person who I would get rid of is Sean Payton. If Sean Payton was actually smart enough, because he's not smart, he would have went to waited one more year and went went to San Diego or um um the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm sorry to coach Justin Herbert, because that situation has been horrible for the past two years. As Jesse J has said for the past two years, that Brandon Staley should have been gone a long time ago. Well, and getting, you getting that coach like this anymore in the NFL, the game has changed. And shame getting, on Sean Payton for treating people like that. Getting back Roger. to the main issue is that the, the Broncos did this to themselves. They beat the Chiefs right before the trade deadline, and they decided to not move off some of their younger pieces to get assets back because they've moved a lot of pieces to get Russell Wilson and Sean Payton in the last couple of seasons. Instead of trading some of their young players and getting back assets so that they could rebuild the team, they have decided, okay, well, we, we maybe we want to keep some of these guys, but we don't have the cap space. So we need to get rid of Russ, Russ Wilson to get some cap space back. The, the Broncos are in a weird spot just because their team, they have a bunch of guys who are about to be free agents and some of them, some of them are pretty good. But some of them are just like I take a guy like Jerry Judy, who I think is a nice receiver. Jerry Judy's a nice receiver, but he's probably going to get 15, maybe 20 million dollars if he hits the open market after next season. So is that per year? Yeah, per year. I mean, what Jerry Judy, had, I think he has about 800 receiving yards this year. 
he's okay, probably so- he's gonna he'd be a free agent in 2025. So he's got one more year left. So you have to make a decision on him. You have to make a decision on, a decision on uh, I believe it's Cortland Sutton, their other receiver. They've got decisions to make. And the fact they didn't trade some of these players to get assets so that they could build a younger team just shows the, a lack of planning from Sean Payton and their GM. Uh, I believe his name is George, George Patton. There's a yeah. lack of planning. There's a lack of planning there. And it's to me, this entire Broncos situation is summed up. They should have just ate the money and got rid of Russ. It would have been it would have been hard, and they would have had to move a lot of money around, and they probably would have had to had they probably would have had to give away a draft pick just to get someone to take on Russ. But right now they're kind of in a weird spot because they've got players they need to pay. They don't have a ton of cap space, and now they need a quarterback, and they probably are going to need two quarterbacks based off how many games they won because they kept a lot of their players. So now you're in a really tough position of we need a quarterback and we need to rebuild the roster. And we don't have a ton of cap space. Like the Broncos are in a weird spot that, yeah, they, congratulations, they beat the Chiefs. And that was probably their biggest win of the season. But now, because you had that win and you decided not to move off certain players and get picks back, you're now in a situation in which you're not bringing your quarterback back. You have players you need to pay. And you're also paying your quarterback a lot of money not to be on your team. So I don't really know what the Broncos' plan is right now. Yeah, because what does this do to their defense? And their defense is actually really good. Um, what, how long does their defense have to, to stay this effective? Is it so, just two years, three years? Their best young player is Patrick Sertain, uh, the second. He would be the player that you would get the most back for. And there was some talk that maybe they could trade him at the deadline. They decided to keep him. He is somebody that if you're truly going to rebuild this team, they probably have to trade. And to me, he's in a, he's an essential part of their defense. You have someone like Justin Simmons, who's a veteran safety, probably wouldn't get a ton for him, but you you would still probably get maybe a, fourth or fifth round pick for him there are players on this team that they're gonna have to really think about trading jerry judy i think is probably in the top five of of those players he's only got a year left but you gotta you gotta try to get him to some of these young teams and market him to some of these young teams that would maybe give you a late first or an early second round pick for jerry judy that they have to start getting creative because they don't really have a ton of assets because they got the rush trade wrong and then you had to trade picks just to get sean payton so they're in a they're in a position where they need to find a way to maximize picks while also trying to patch up their quarterback position unless they just want to use all those picks to go all in and try to get a quarterback. But but then in my opinion you're in the same exact scenario a team like the Panthers are in right now is where yeah all these assets, they move to go get Bryce Young. Well, I I like Bryce Young. I just yeah, I didn't yeah. Whatever backup situation they have with the Broncos going forward, their backups are still not going to be better than their than the starting quarterback in Carolina. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, no, no. But what I'm saying is, I'm comparing it to is the the Panthers don't have any weapons for Bryce Young, and they traded a lot Correct. of picks and they traded a lot of their future so they get Bryce Young. When you do that, you're basically putting your quarterback in a hole because you don't have any weapons unless you already have them pre-established. They traded their best receiver in DJ Moore to move up and get Bryce Young. So what happened? He doesn't have any weapons other than Adam Thielen, who's what, 33 or 34 years old. If you look at what the Broncos are going to have to do, it's going to have to be trading young guys to get picks, using those picks to go up to get a quarterback. But then when you get that quarterback, you don't have anyone to throw the ball to and you lack weapons for him. So the Broncos are just in a tough spot because they haven't really picked a lane. They're trying to keep all their options open. But when you do that, you're just delaying. You keep delaying things and pushing it off into the future. Well, eventually you've got to make a decision, and they're just—they're kind of in no man's no man's land right now. 
What is the uh, contract duration for Sean Payton? I don't I don't recall what it is, but I know he signed a big deal. Okay, and um, before we move off this um, topic, does Russell Wilson play somewhere else next year? It's interesting because he played much better this year. I, I still think he was very limited because a lot of it was just Russ taking shots deep. You start, you start to see a little bit of his mobility. I think he showed better mobility this season. Mm-hmm. And he still has a pretty good arm. I wouldn't say it's what it was in Seattle, but his arm is still pretty good. I, I think there's enough there that somebody would take a chance on him. Uh, if they if they have a if they have a coaching staff they believe in, but it, it's gonna for me if you're gonna take a chance on Russell Wilson you have to be a team that is a playoff caliber team that you know you're a playoff caliber team and is willing to take the chance on Russ. I I think a team like Pittsburgh would make a lot of sense for him. Oh, very good one. I like that. That's good. Okay. All right. What um let's go to the next one. Um, who is the MVP of the league right now, Jess? To me, it's Lamar Jackson. I think he's played the best. I, if we were just going off of who I think is the most important and who I think the best player has been, I think it's Christian McCaffrey. But based off what the NFL is going to vote off of, it's going to be Lamar Jackson. I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson as well. Um, if you guys get a chance, there is a heated debate between um, Keyshawn Johnson and Russell uh, – not Russell. Um, Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman. Thank you, uh, thank you, Jess. And it got very, very deep. If you guys have a chance and go to YouTube and search up Undisputed and the heated debate between why Lamar Jackson should not be MVP laid out by Richard Sherman, it's a very interesting talking point that has never been brought up, at least to my to my knowledge, um, as he's basically saying that the voters are setting a are lowering the bar for what an MVP in the, in the league should be. And I thought that was a very interesting point, um, but he goes into detail of how much um, uh, uh, of why he thinks this shouldn't happen. And then Keyshawn Johnson um, was saying how he should. And Richard Sherman was advocating for Brock Purdy or McCaffrey over Lamar Jackson by 10 miles. So um, was there anybody else actually right now in this point in competition with Lamar Jackson for MVP? Had the Dolphins won, had the Dolphins won against the Ravens, I think you would have heard a little bit of a push for Tua or Tyreek Hill. But other than that, those are really the only other two guys who I think were even in competition for it. Okay. Let's go to the next one. Is it fair to say if the Raiders would have fired Josh McDaniels earlier in the season, they would have a better record than they do right now with Antonio Pierce as head coach? It's interesting because they they had problems earlier in the season and they had to cycle through talent. And if you look at it, a lot of it was defensive problems, which I believe Antonio Pierce was their defensive coordinator. So I, I, I think it was necessary. Some of it was just them being able to make changes and they needed time to develop some of their young guys throughout the season. Some of it has been beating teams like what well, I believe they beat the Jets in a terrible Sunday night football game. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of are what their record is. That Like they had some wins where, yeah, oh, we won the game, but we maybe weren't the best team. We were just, we played well and we got some breaks and some teams didn't play well. I, I think they kind of are what their record is. So, so yeah. as, bad, as bad as Josh McDaniels was, I don't think he held them back. I think he just kind of they they kind of just are what the record was, if that makes sense. Which is okay, what so if some, I think they have like seven wins. That that feels right for them. I I say they could have got one to two wins, no more than that. If Derek Carr was still there, I think they would have. Uh, it's it's tough to say for the for for bottoming out, but. At least two to four more wins with Derek Carr, um, and if well, Josh McDaniels well, wasn't the head coach. 
with, with, if Derek Carr is on this team, yes, I think we might be talking about them as a playoff team. But the fact that you had Jimmy Garoppolo and Aiden O'Connell, like he's been okay as a rookie quarterback, but they still have they those two guys clearly have limitations. Well, I mean, uh, they also the Raiders also lost to the Vikings three to zero. Well, exactly. The, if Derek Carr was on the team, I think that's different. But Josh McDaniels, I think they have a couple more wins because they don't have Josh McDaniels. Like in particular, I think they they probably beat the Chiefs because they have Antonio Pierce as head coach. But I think they're kind of their record is kind of what I think it should be. Okay. Um, do the Raiders draft a quarterback? And my second question is who? Well, do the Raiders draft a quarterback and who is it? My second is do they keep Antonio Pierce as head coach or they do they bring John Gruden back? So to answer that, I think they should keep Antonio Pierce as head coach. I think I think he's done well enough where you just gotta gotta roll with it. The same thing happened with Rich Basaccia where he was the interim coach and they played really well under him. And then Correct. they go and hire Josh McDaniels. Like, they, they go hire Josh McDaniels and it's a complete disaster. I think I would just give it to Antonio Pierce. They've had so much uncertainty that you gotta you gotta have some stability there. And I think Antonio Pierce has done a nice job. I think you got to give it to him. I think it, you have to qualify it with, though, that I think you want to try to bring in an experienced offensive coordinator because their offense, as constituted, probably not good enough to be competitive most of next season, just based off what I've seen. But I, I would give Antonio Pierce a chance to be the head coach. And when it comes to drafting a quarterback, yeah, I would, I would try to go up and get a quarterback if I were them. They've Who'd done they the stopgap thing multiple times, like or they've had Derek Carr, who in his last couple seasons felt like a stopgap quarterback. Then they had Jimmy G, who was a stopgap quarterback. You got to go get your own rookie quarterback. The one caveat I would say is if Justin Fields becomes available, that's the type of guy I would trade a draft pick for, and I would try to get him if he becomes available this offseason. That's the one caveat. He's the one young quarterback I'd be open for them trading to because I think you could build around him. There's a lot of rumors right now, and in, in, I'm going to say Oakland in Las Vegas, about the Raiders trading Devontae Adams. Do you see him leaving at all? Do you see him getting traded? Um, I didn't know his contract after one year would be able to do that. Or two years, I'm sorry. Um, is this his option year? What is yeah, well, the truth to that? His contract, if, I believe if he kind of moves some money around, that he becomes tradable. So that that is an option on the table if the Raiders are looking to fully kind of rebuild and just give whoever the next head coach is a blank slate so that they can go get a quarterback and they could they could rebuild the O-line a little bit and they could just have as many resources as possible to rebuild the team. I, I tend to think, though, if you're the Raiders, do you do that or do you just go ahead and try to get the quarterback? Because if you can get the quarterback, maybe you, maybe you think that under in year two under Antonio Pierce you can build something. So they're, they're in a tough spot. I tend to think they'll try to run it back, though, because – it feels like the Raiders have been stop and start so much that they're going to try to just keep things together. But I could see a scenario in which they trade Devonte Adams if they're going to completely rebuild everything and want to start with a fresh, with a fresh canvas for their coach. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. Um, what the hell is going on with J- uh, Jair Alexander? He is a player for the Green Bay Packers who a few a, few, a couple weeks ago, um, he wasn't even named a captain in his hometown, and he came back from injury. But the Green Bay Packers had already selected three captains for their team to go out there in the middle of the field for the coin toss. However, Jair Alexander actually went to the middle of the field with them, and neither one of those guys knew what he was doing out there. But he made the call, he got the ball, and he got suspended one game. If they, if if the Green Bay Packers were to cut him, they would save $1.6 million. Um, 
this has never ever happened before in the history of the NFL. I don't understand the situation, Jess. Can you explain what, to me what happened? So basically, before the game, you select captains for that game, and then they they are given instructions to make calls for heads or tails and stuff for the opening coin toss, and then in overtime, they basically you basically tell them, "Hey, we want heads or tails." And he was not a captain; and he went and made and he made the call. I, this whole entire thing is stupid, and I think it kind of speaks to some of the problems the Packers have had, at least with uh, Matt LaFleur, his coach, where they just don't really seem focused or on the same page. Um, and that's if you look at their record and their season, it's been really up and down. feel like some of that has got to be to coaching because you had a young quarterback making his first, what, 17, 18 starts this season? Yep. If they make the playoffs. So – what what are we doing? I just I feel like it's a lack of control from the Packers. Just you you have to know what players are your captains going out there. I feel I feel like if you're really paying attention, you would you would know that he's out there and then you would bring him back. Or I I feel like it's just a lack of control from Matt Lafleur. Maybe maybe I'm wrong on that, but I feel like it's a lack of control. No, I see, and I think that's that's a fair statement because I also think that's something that doesn't get talked about as much that you and I spoke about is how immature as a head coach he is. Can we do we not we um, forget that a few weeks ago, when I don't remember who the Green Bay Packers were playing, maybe it was Tampa Bay, um, he was making all these over exaggerated faces when Jordan Love was throwing the ball. I believe, that, over- yeah, I believe it was either the Bucks game or the Giants game. Yes. I think it may have been the uh, Giants game. And he was being extremely animated. And that's unprofessional. For your quarterback to see your head coach to do that, that does not instill confidence into, in, into you as a, as a human being if you want to succeed at this, in this game. Um, I don't know what it is. That could be another reason why Aaron Rodgers wanted to go and why he was also butting heads with Matt LaFleur. Yeah, it just – I don't know. The Packers just see – they're a young team with a lot of young players. It just feels like they really don't – have a firm leader and not that that's not to say that love can't turn into one but this was his first season as a starter like it's kind of hard for your quarterback to be the leader of the team when he's in it as inexperienced as jordan love is and it just feels like a lot of what the packers have done is they've had up and down play and it feels like that's directly related to their coach kind of being up and down right um let's go to the next one jess what is wrong with cooper cup he doesn't seem to be all there yet i don't I mean, think go ahead I, I don't. I think it's as simple as I don't think he's healthy and he's a thirty-year-old receiver now. That Cooper Cup, it was he. He was a great player and I think he's still a good player. But if you look at him, he's thirty years old and he's had hamstring issues the last couple seasons. I don't think he's fully. I don't think he's fully healthy. He's he's not a bad player in twelve games. He has seven hundred thirty-seven yards and five touchdowns. He's still really good. I just don't think he's a. I, I don't think he at least right now as a top-level player the way he was in 2021 when he arguably could have been MVP. Uh, that's the first statement. Um, do you think – okay, what, um, do you have it up what week he came back or how many games he's played? He's played 12 games. I don't know which week he came back. I know he missed the first few games. Uh, he's played in 12 games this season. Okay. Um, do you think that he that we're kind of over we're, – we're blowing – we're – how do you say that? Uh, what's the term, Jess? Um, blowing this out of proportion considering the fact that he has – Puka Nakua on the other side, so therefore he doesn't need to do as much as he was doing. Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at Cooper Cup's numbers, if you extrapolate them out over a full season and he was healthy, he'd be right under a thousand yards. He is a he right now. He is a good player. I think because of some of his injuries, he is not a great player. 
Now, maybe he gets healthy next season. I would just bet against it because once receivers start turning 30-31, most of them start to decline. So I just think we're seeing a different version of Cooper Cup. Right now, he is just a good player as opposed to being a great player. Okay. Um, does he come back to the Rams next year? That's an interesting question. I tend to think so, but the Rams also are one of those teams that they're probably going to have to move money around and get creative. So it's entirely possible he signs a one-year deal elsewhere, but I tend to think he is one of those guys that they're going to want to bring back. Uh, does Matthew Stafford? I would say, well, just to finish up, I would say especially because of how well Matt Stafford played late in the season, that he's looked way better late in the season. So if if you give everyone an offseason and everyone's fully healthy, I think the thought is that they might be able to try to get one last run out of this team. Okay. Well, I'm excited. I'm a huge Matthew Stafford fan. A huge Puka Nakua fan, a huge Cooper Cup fan. Sean McVay's pissed me off a lot this year, so we'll see how that goes. Um, next is Mike McDaniels is the most overhyped, overrated, disrespectful coach I've ever seen in the NFL. Do you agree with that statement? No, that's Nick Sirianni. Oh, uh, that's a fucking fair. That's a good one. Um, I mean, I was just going to say, I know Nick Sirianni is not really like the Kansas City. But I just feel like from if you look if you look at the Eagles offense, they mm-hmm. lost their offense coordinator who became Indianapolis head coach Shane Steichen. Since he has left, that offense hasn't looked the same. Jalen Hurts looks like he's hurt and they're having him run the ball a lot. I just I don't really understand what Nick Sirianni does if he's not going to call plays or be involved in the offense. Like I just that that team looks like a complete mess and you're the head coach, you gotta step in and try to fix it. Especially when your background is that of an offensive coach. Okay, well, see, I, I don't like Mike McDaniel at all. I think he came into the perfect scenario with really good players. I made that statement last year. I made that statement this year. Um, uh, but, however, I was actually fooled somewhat last year because I'm like, okay, maybe this guy's a really good coach. And I'm like, no, it's Tyreek and Jalen Waddle and fucking um, Raheem Mostert. They're all great players. Can I say something on behalf of McDaniel, though? Oh, boy, go ahead. His quarterback is limited. Their passing game is throwing to an open spot, having one of their fast guys go get it, or taking shots downfield. If they can't do either of those two things, their offense doesn't work. It too is a very limited quarterback. He he's not that's not to say he's not a capable quarterback. He's just limited in what he can do. So their offense is throw to a spot. And the hope is that if it's in a certain area, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle can get uh, they can get to that area and get the ball. Or they're taking shots deep to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I just their their offense is not it's basically it it relies on a strong run game and for their passing game to work. When you get physical and you throw off the timing of their offense, it doesn't work. I like the fact that he was talking shit to Dan Marino on the sideline. I thought that was really arrogant, really prickish. Um, Dan Marino is, is a top-five quarterback in the history of the NFL. The way he played the game wasn't seen until Patrick Mahomes got in the league as a full-starting quarterback. So Mike McDaniel's fucking comments against Dan Marino I thought were real asshole-ish, real prickish. Um, and that's just another thing for me not to like him about. He's just an arrogant prick who I don't like. But the Sirianni comparison or the the one you named, uh, Nick Sirianni, for being everything I said Mike McDaniel was, that's a, that's a, that is 100% fair. Well, at least with Mike McDaniel, you at least have an offense that has been pretty good. And I think it has I think it has limitations. With Nick Sirianni, you're supposed to be the offensive guy, but you gave up play calling because it was really bad. It got really bad in his first season as coach. Okay, well, it's been bad. It's been bad this year. Why don't you try taking it back over or making adjustments? Like the Eagles are still making the same problems they were making early in the season. The, if you look at the Chiefs and the Eagles, the two teams in the Super Bowl last year, they have the exact opposite issues. The Chiefs, with the with the Chiefs, it's that they don't have the, the Chiefs are a offense with limited talent 
with limited talent and playmaking ability and a really strong defense. The Eagles have a ton of talent on offense, but they don't they don't really do a lot of they don't have a lot of variety on offense and their defense stinks. Mm-hmm. They they both are ta- talented teams with we think talented coaching staffs. They just they haven't really been able to adjust this season, and it's been for a variety of reasons. Uh, with the Chiefs, I think it's a lack of offensive talent. With the Eagles, I just think it's it's just maybe inexperience on the offensive staff or just stubbornness. But they they that team has way too much talent to be having issues they've had. They have. And then if you look at on defense, I will say real quick, Jess, on on the fact of why their offense can't do anything. I also think it's a huge detriment when you have their their a a great quarterback in Jalen Hurts who is getting sacked left and right and doesn't get rid of the football. Well, he's clearly hurt, and they're running him, too, so it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And if you look at the Eagles' defense, their defense can only win one way. They can only win when they get pass rush on a quarterback. If they can't do that, they're practically they, – they don't have any bite or punch to them. Look at mm-hmm. look at the game versus the Cardinals. It's not like Kyle Murray's out there throwing to a bunch of all-star players, but they couldn't mm-hmm. get pressure on him, and he was able to just kind of stay in the game, and they were able to win with a late drive. Eagles Kyle had, Murray did really good for in that game. The Eagles had no counterpunch if they couldn't get pressure on Kyler Murray. None. And Jalen Hurts, I don't know how many times he got sacked in that game, but, I mean, he was getting sacked for fucking a, a loss of 10 fucking yards on average. That's horrible. And if you look at it, they got Kyler Murray one time. They sacked him one time. He picked them apart. He had one bad interception, or it could have even been worse for the Eagles because that was in the red zone, and they got returned for a touchdown. Correct. And if you look at if you look at Jalen Hurts, he didn't get sacked. He just was he he he, Wait, he didn't get sacked once. No, he didn't get sacked at all. Then he just he, gave himself up. Then he was eighteen to twenty-three for one hundred sixty-seven yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. The Eagles' offense is either throw the ball down the field, make big plays, or throw it underneath. That is their entire offense. They they're a little bit to me like the Miami Dolphins, except they have more. They I would argue they have more talent even than the Dolphins, just at quarterback and at receiver. AJ Brown is amazing. Devontae yes, Smith forty got hurt. Very good receiver, and they just they can't figure it out. It's it's completely confusing and mind boggling how they're just so ineffective at times. Okay, well let's go to the next one. Um, who should be the defensive player of the year? Max Crosby, Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, Dexter Lawrence. Who, who do you got for winning this this award? Mm, that's an interesting question. I think for me, you go first. I'm gonna go Miles Garrett. My eye test. I, 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 real quick, Micah Parsons, I don't know how he was even in the running for anything of defensive player of the year. If you if I test everything and you're telling me that he fucking changes games, he does not change the game. Last year in the NFL, everybody thought he was going to be the next Lawrence Taylor. Come midpoint, he fucking did nothing. It's the same thing this year. Micah Parsons would rather be an analyst than a guy who's a fucking game record in the NFL. And that has been evident every fucking game since the halfway point of this season. Again, mirroring last year's, Micah Parsons does not even belong in the conversation. Dexter Lawrence, to be fair, is for the Dallas Cowboys is a better player to a certain degree than Micah Parsons. But Miles Garrett. So, so you said Miles Garrett. For me, I think it'd also be Miles Garrett. I just think if you look at oh, real quick, TJ Watt deserves to be in this discussion. TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, th- those are two guys who have been super effective and I feel like they're when they're hurt that those opposed or the defenses they're on really struggle without them. And I, I feel like the Browns, if they didn't have miles Garrett, their defense completely changes and they're, 
they probably aren't a playoff team if he get, if he got hurt. Well, I mean, uh, to be fair, even on special teams, Michael, while well, Miles Garrett was on special teams, he Blocked was it. changing the blocking field goals. Mm-hmm. So his ability to to change a game is is absolutely amazing, and he's got 14 sacks on the year this year. And at this point last year, he had 16. So he's right on average to where he should be. So that's telling us that he hasn't dropped off at all. Excuse me. Um, is there anybody else that belongs to this conversation for the defensive player of the year besides the guys I named? No, I think that about sums it up for at least for me. What do you think about the comparisons between Dexter Lawrence and Michael Parsons that I made? Is that fair or unfair? Uh, can you say? Can you make the point again? Who? Who? What do you think about what I said regarding Micah Parsons and me saying that Dexter Lawrence is probably a more effective uh, player than Micah Parsons is? I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but I think Micah Parsons, what we've seen this season is that he can be very hit or miss. And I think that is a issue. Like Mike Parsons has 13 sacks a year. He's been good, but there are times where he's just, he's disappeared. I think some of it is maybe because this is the first year where he's truly playing on, on the edge full time. But yeah, I feel like this year there's been more points where I've seen him in games just disappear. But and just to I, I would argue, when Michael Parsons is playing, when, when Michael Parsons is playing at his best, he is one of the three best defenders in the NFL. Uh, that's tough. And and just to be fair, TJ Watt is probably number two in that voting because he has 17 sacks on the season and he's got more than Miles Garrett, who has 14. Um, let's move on. Who is the rookie of the year? This I should mean, be actually sewed up right now. Um, and we will get to our award show later on in the in a couple weeks. But who do you who do you think is the rookie of the year right now, Jess? This is interesting because I think it is truly going to come down to the last week of the season. I think if with how bad we thought Houston would be coming into the season, the fact they might even be a playoff team, I feel like you have to give to CJ Shroud. But Puka Nakua has been so great. I almost think it'll be a shared award this year. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, to to be fair. You said that we all thought Houston was going to be bad. You're yeah, right. Well, you yourself thought the Rams were going to be horrible. Mm-hmm. And you did say that. And they actually, both teams have done well. well both it, teams it, are fighting for the playoffs. They've needed Puka Nakua because Cooper Cup was hurt early in the season. And he has Correct. quite a player. That if they didn't have Puka, Puka, Puka Nakua. has become the gem that every team wants. He's their go-to guy now. Yes. And C.J. Stroud is an amazing, amazing person. The way he talks. And he's an amazing, amazing football player on and off the field, which off the field, I really don't care. But just the personality of the man, he seems like a very, very genuine person. Um, and his game is is really elite. That That's what I get from watching C.J. Stroud because, um, and I've said this many times and in, in throughout the season in these podcasts, the one thing that he likes to do and reminds me of Patrick Mahomes, he likes to come, he likes to play, how do I say this, Jess? Um, it is not like he likes to play from underneath, but in he's a sense, that's what it is. Playing from behind, he's coming from behind. Yes, thank you. He likes to play from behind, and in most situations that we've seen this year, he's actually won. Um, that way, he he seems like he thrives off that. And Mahomes is the same way. Um, so if this is an actual shared, I would be glad to see both of them get it. But I'm going to go with Puka Nakua. I think he's more important to his team than CJ Stroud is. Next, um, let's break down who are the top quarterbacks in our rankings. Michael Vick put out his top five quarterbacks in the, in the league right now, and he's got Lamar Jackson from the Ravens, Josh Allen from the Bills, Brock Purdy from the 49ers, Patrick Mahomes from the Kansas City Chiefs, and Jalen Hurts from the Eagles. The last one has me scratching my head just because I've seen the way the man has played. Um, but um, who are your top quarterbacks in the league right now, Jess? So I think you have to go with Lamar at one. I would go – this is an interesting question. I, 
I think you have to go with Lamar at one. I would go with the way he's playing right now, Stafford at two. I would go Mahomes three, Dak four, and I believe Josh Allen five. So you said Lamar, Stafford, two, and Dak? I said Lamar, Stafford, Mahomes, Dak, and Allen. Okay. So Tua is no longer in your top five. No, he's he's falling out. I I I think this game versus the, I think this game versus the Ravens really kind of exposed, and it was kind of my fear with him. Whereas if they kind of got into a game where it's going to all be on Tua to make throws and you got to make plays that ex- extend drives, that's not really what he does. He's good at operating the offense, but when you ask him to do more than just operate the offense and make plays out of structure, that's not really what his where his strengths are. Okay. Well, I have Lamar Jackson, Brock Purdy, Josh Allen, Matthew Stafford. And the last one is is difficult because Patrick Mahomes, to me, has not played great. Baker Mayfield has played better over the past few weeks, past six weeks, than Mahomes has played. Um, but also Dak Prescott. The number five is pretty difficult for me. I don't know. I had two in the ranking also because of the way he played a few weeks ago up until this week. But I don't know who that number five spot belongs to. So I have Lamar. Brock Purdy, Josh Allen, Matthew Stafford, and I don't know who. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know who goes to five. I guess I could just put uh, – I'm going to go Baker Mayfield and put him in that list. Mahomes does not make that top five for me. I I feel like people have been too harsh on Mahomes this year. The leading, oh, my God. Excuse, the, master. The third leading receiver for the Chiefs is going to have less than 500 yards. Mahomes has played horrible when throwing picks. Look at every pick he's thrown has been bad, real bad. His fault. The third leading receiver on the Chiefs is going to have less than 500 yards. It, he's he's throwing, he is throwing to one of the most limited offenses in the NFL. They don't have any deep threats. Mahomes is squeezing everything you can out of Justin Watson and Rishi Rice. He is literally squeezing everything you can out of that. Okay. Uh, let's go to our next one. Does Baker Mayfield get a four to five year plus monster contract from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after this season? No, I think he'll get a two-year extension. I, I, don't, I agree with the two-year extension. I, I, I'm with you I, on that. I don't know how you can do anything more than two years, but I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be so good that they can't the, – the Bucks are good enough where if you have a good draft, you can kind of rebuild the team and shuffle in and out a little bit of talent and maybe get a little bit of youth on that team. But you can't commit anything more than two or three years to Baker Mayfield for a contract. I just – I can't see that happening. Okay. Well, let's go on to our next one, and that has to do with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that is the great Mike Evans. Um, to the Kansas City Chiefs, can we see that in this future? To the New York Jets, the Bills, or the Ravens? Because the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have yet to even talk to him at all about his contract this season. That tells me that he's going to be gone this year. Where does he go? So for me, I think the team that you don't have on there is the Texans. I think the Texans Ooh. are the team with a young quarterback, they traded their first-round pick to get Will Anderson. They, or they traded the first-round pick next season so they could move back up and get Will Anderson. I think the team to watch out for for Mike Evans is the Texans because they they aren't going to be able to go get the receiver in the draft. So what do you got to do? You got to spend money to go get a guy like Mike Evans to help your young quarterback. You then look at a team maybe like Jacksonville. Do you go try to get a Mike Evans who is – been on a good team and been on playoff teams. Uh, and, and then you look maybe a team like Carolina, but I don't think they're good enough. I, I think a, another team is Arizona. Do the Cardinals try to throw some weapons around uh, Kyle Murray? You think about in the draft, do they try to get a Marvin Harrison? 
they have a Hollywood Brown, you then go get a Mike Evans, and all of a sudden you're looking at a really good receiving core, and you've put Kyle Murray in a position where you could be a playoff game next year. Interesting. So there's probably going to be no way he signs back with the Buccaneers because they don't have enough respect for him to talk about his contract. What does that do to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going forward next season if they have if they don't have him there? Because Chris Godwin, when it comes up to, to our awards, he's going to be the biggest disappointment I've had we've seen this year because he hasn't done shit. Um, what do the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do and fill that position with? So to me, Tampa's got a choice to make. They're either going to completely rebuild this. They're either going to sign someone like Baker to like a two-year extension just so he can kind of be the stopgap quarterback so you can eventually overturn the roster and draft your quarterback. Or you're going to try to move money around, keep Mike Evans, and try to go at a playoff run one last time before you have to kind of blow the team up. Okay, well, the top-tier quarter uh, receivers, um, the market is saying it's going to be 35 to $38 million. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's going to be that a year It'll, for, for Mike Evans. I would be twenty to twenty five million, maybe. He's he's a thirty year old receiver. Twenty twenty five million to me. That's I, I don't think we're going to see it. Okay, so you said you said twenty five. You said earlier Jerry Judy is going to get um, fourteen to fifteen million dollars a year. How is he? How is that gap so huge? I don't understand that. Jerry Judy, he's younger. He's like five or six years younger than Mike Evans is. But he's still going to get paid ten million dollars less per year. According to your math. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Judy's probably somewhere in the range of 15, 18 million. Mike Evans, probably somewhere in the range of 20 to 23 million. Okay. J- Jerry Judy's just a younger player. If he's going to hit free agency or he's going to get traded by the Broncos this offseason, uh, he, he's, he's a way younger player than, than what Mike Evans is. Jerry Judy is 24 years old. So he's under contract for next season for the Broncos. Uh, he, he could be a trade chip for them. At that point, he's going to be 25 years old, signing an extension. He's going to get 15 to 15, 18 million in his extension per year. Yeah, no. In his so extension. why doesn't he get? Tell me the receivers, the top five receivers or seven who get the 35 to 38 million dollars for top tier receivers. Who is that? Jamar Chase. So um, I don't. Harry Hill. I don't think it's going to be 35 to 38 million. I think it'd be more like 32 to 33. That's not and what I, they're saying. I think. Well, I think that's off. 35. You're not going to pay a receiver $40 million yet. It, that We're still probably a couple years away from that. I think you're looking at 30 to $32 million probably for Justin Jefferson. That That's going to be the guy. And I don't think Jamar Chase is going to sign his extension yet. I think the I think the Bengals will wait. They're, they're going to try to get one more season before they have to pay both Burrow and Chase. And I think they're going to wait so they can franchise tag T. Higgins uh, and try to get one more year of that offensive core together because they kind of got robbed of the end of the season with that core. Who do you think, do you, I mean, okay, Lamar, uh, not Lamar, um, Jamar uh, Chase has been a lot, has been pretty disgruntled this season. Do you even see him staying in Cincinnati? Yeah, no, I, I think I think as long as Burrow's in Cincinnati, he's going to be in Cincinnati. I just think you're going to have to manage his personality. And eventually, when he maybe gets closer to 30, you trade him. But for right now, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to kind of just ride it out until he gets closer to 30 and then maybe like Chiefs did with Tyreek Hill is when you deem him to be too expensive and too much of a headache, you move on from him. Yeah, too much of a headache and look where we're at. I mean, the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl without him. I mean, what, what are we talking about? It's yeah, like, uh, but look, look at this season. It's biting him in the ass. But anyways, um, no, what's biting Jamar him? Chase. No, no. Just no, Jamar Chase is what's a type of guy who is, is a number one receiver, but he's also got an attitude like Jalen Ramsey. Uh, say that, that again. Fair? You think it's like Jalen Ramsey? 
yeah, Jamar Chase is this year. I mean, he, he just looking at him, he seems like kind of snotty. Okay. Uh, okay. Uptight. Well, yeah. When it comes to, so I think what I think when it comes to Jamar Chase, I just think that's what receivers do. They get attitudinal. I, if that's a word. Like they, they just you have to put up with an attitude. They're divas. Receivers, receivers more often than not are gonna have attitudes, and they're they're gonna be temperamental. And you've kind of got to you have to put up with it until they no longer are worth it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see that. Okay. Well, yeah, just, do, do you think his attitude though is like it's it's the equivalent to Jalen Ramsey? Jalen Ramsey is a fucking prima donna like asshole. Uh, no, I mean that's just how receivers. Every receiver in the league is like that though. Like who who's the top receiver that, that isn't like that? Oh. Is it Cooper Cup? Like that's probably it. That's probably it, to be honest with you. Stephon Diggs is trying to fight Josh Allen on the sidelines. Like, I mean, <laughs> that's a fact. Who who who's the receiver who's not temperamental? Like it's usually the tight ends, and then like Cooper Cup. That's it. I think you might be right, Jess. I honestly really I'm trying to think. I don't know. Justin Jefferson. Uh, you, you started to hear it when they were losing, though. The, the difference is that that they, they started winning, and then Kurt got hurt, and that kind of that kind of it's a throwaway season at that point. You're right. Well, before we go, um, your top three teams to watch in the NFC heading into the playoffs. For for me, the top three teams in the NFC, I think you have to go with – I'm going to go with Dallas, Detroit, and Los Angeles, the Rams. Dallas, Detroit, Los Angeles. I'm writing this down. Dallas, Detroit, Rams. Okay, for me, it would be the Rams, Dallas, and I really want to say Seattle. I really want to say Seattle, but they Seattle is up and down. They may not make it. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, and I don't trust anybody in that fucking NFC South, because I wanted to say Baker too, but they may not make it. And I don't definitely don't trust a team coached by Arthur Smith at all. So I may have to just go with you and say the same thing, Detroit, Dallas, and Rams. You know, the funny thing, though, I actually do just to just to kind of preview the NFC South versus the Eagles, because that's what it's going to be is the winner of the NFC, the winner of the NFC South, excuse me, versus the Eagles. Tampa Bay would be the team. I know Philly beat them earlier in the season, but Philly's not playing well. And Tampa Bay has just enough offensively that if you get a good Baker Mayfield game, that could get that could get competitive. Let's go for the top three teams to watch out for in the AFC in the heading into the playoffs. Who do you got? For me, it's Baltimore, it's Kane City, and it's Cleveland. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with the Browns, the Steelers, and Kansas City because they have the experience. And I think that the underlying factor of those three teams is something that Lamar Jackson has proven that he can't face when it's a really tough defense. Browns have a great defense. The Steelers have a great defense. The Chiefs have a mediocre defense, but he can still put pressure on Lamar. So I'm going to go with those three teams. So you and I both have Dallas. We, well, we have Dallas, Detroit, and the Rams. We're all the same on those. We both have the Browns. We both have KC. And then you differ with um, the Ravens, and I have the Steelers. And that's if the Steelers even make the playoffs, to be fair, correct? Yeah, they currently they, – they need some help to get in the playoffs. Okay. All right. Anything else you want to add to the show, Jess? Uh, overall, I think what we're seeing is that the AFC to me is going to come down to it's going to probably come down to Baltimore. To me, at least, it's going to come down to Baltimore and Kansas City. And the question for Baltimore is, can you get to that point? Like you have all the expectations in the world now that you're going to be the number one seed. The expectation is for you to get to the get to the Super Bowl and win it. Are you going to be able to handle those expectations? Because the last time they were in this position, 
They lost to Tennessee. Are they going to be able mm-hmm. to handle those expectations? Because they're expected to win the Super Bowl now. Are you going to be able to handle it? And then with the Chiefs, it's can you protect the football? Can you be a defense-first team and do the things necessary for a defensive-first team to get to the Super Bowl? I think that's a fair statement. And then, and then okay. Um, lastly, with AFC, I'm out on I'm out on Miami. I mean, I know it's just one game, and in theory, they could. I'm be, with you. Be in the AFC Championship game, and even if they lose to the Ravens, that's a successful season for them. But I just I don't think Miami has any shot at winning. And I'm surprised you didn't say the Bills. Well, I mean, and they the Bills, and the Bills the Bills may not make the playoffs either. Yeah, well, that's the thing. The Bills almost lost to the Chargers, who were starting Easton Stick. And then this week, they followed up almost losing to the Patriots, who turned the ball over five, six times. Like, I can't trust yeah. them. Do you, re- do you really think the Bills are going to win four playoff games in a row to win the Super Bowl? I can't see that happening. And, and, and it's not no. just four. It's actually five, because this Week 17 game is basically a playoff game for them. So yep. can they win five playoff games in a row to win the Super Bowl? I don't think so. I think if you look at Josh Allen, history would say he's going to have a sneaker in there where he throws for 150 yards and two interceptions. Don't you dare talk about him like that. I mean, I think he's because think every he's time played, you talk about him, I think he's played. You're well. Usually right. I, I put him in my top five quarterbacks for the season. I think he's played well. He's had some turnovers, but I, in general, I think he's played really well given some of the issues the the Bills have had. But I just don't trust him for five games in a row to be good. There's going to be a game in there where he has 170 yards in the fourth quarter, and we're like, "What the fuck, Josh Allen?" Well, let me ask you this before we go. Do you trust Joe Flacco more or do you trust Josh Allen more? In the playoffs? Yep. I think I trust – I know it sounds weird, but I think I trust Joe Flacco more, mainly because I trust their defense more. Yep. And it's been a good story for Joe Flacco and Cleveland. And if he goes against Lamar and beats him, oh, my God. The team that cut him, that would be a a, a great story. That was, that's the one team, if you're the Ravens – I. I think there's two teams, if you're the Ravens, you don't want to play in the playoffs. I don't think you want to play the Chiefs because they have a ton of experience and they've been in they've been in these big games the last five years. And then if, I'm with if, you, I'm with you on that. And and second team that, is Cleveland because Cleveland has played them tough. I don't think you want to play Cleveland well, and, because if you that's a divisional game that's gonna be hard hitting and it's gonna probably be close. Well, and to be fair, I think that the receiving core, honestly, from for Cleveland has stepped up tremendously. Amari Cooper and Njoku have done really, really well since Joe Flacco has begun playing. Well, and my thing is, Cleveland's the type of team that can bully the Ravens a little bit and just get physical with them and get in their head. And that's the one thing I wouldn't want if I'm the Ravens is for a team that knows they could beat you. A team like the Chiefs that knows they can win win a type of game like an AFC Championship game. And for Cleveland, it's a team that knows they can beat you in an individual game. Those are two things you don't want when you're when you're a team with expectations like the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, anything else you want to add just before we go? I think that sums it up. Uh, we're in for a crazy week 18. We are really um, going to have some very good games and um, crunch time scenarios. What does he say for the witching hour? Where losses become wins and wins become oh, losses. Games real quick. Just go over the games real quick. Sure. All right. We have Steelers and Ravens. I'm going Steelers. Texans, Colts. This is basically a playoff game. I'm going with the Colts. I will go with the Texans. And then I will go with the Steelers because I think the Ravens are going to sit most of their players. We're now go, getting into the Sunday games. We have the Bucks and Panthers. Um, we, we, we have the Bucks and Panthers for our first game on Sunday. Well, I would like for Baker Mayfield to win, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if Carolina beats them. Yeah, with the Buccaneers, I just don't know how you can really predict what they're going to do. They're so up and down. They're the epitome of a 500 team. Yeah, I agree. I will go with the Buccaneers. 
But yeah, this is a game where it would not shock me if they lost a close game to the Panthers. Browns and Bengals. Browns. Well, wait a minute. Are they? Gonna, are any of these fucking playoff teams already in? They're going to start play the starters. Well, I was about to say the Bengals are favored by six points, which leads me to believe the Browns are expected to rest players. Well, then I'll just go with the Bengals then. Okay, I will also go with the Bengals. You have the Vikings at Lions. The Lions are the Lions are probably going to play their guys for to try to get the two seed. Uh, maybe they might rest some of their guys. The Vikings can still technically make the playoffs. They're going to need help though. The the Lions are a three point favorite. I'll go with Detroit. I ultimately think that I ultimately think that the Lions at some point pull their starters. Even even though in theory with a win and the Cowboys lost, they could be the two seed. I think they will go ahead and pull their starters around halftime. I think the Vikings will win. Okay. And then we have the Jets and Patriots. Patriots are a two-point favorite. I think Belichick rides off with a win. I'm with you on that. Falcons, Saints. Saints are a three-point favorite. Both of these teams need this win to stay alive in the playoffs. I will go with the Saints just because I don't think the Falcons are any good. Mainly due to their coach. I want to go with with the fucking Falcons because of Taylor Heineke. But their coach is an idiot. Their coach is fucking garbage. Uh-huh. So I'm with you, Jay. I mean, like, if Taylor Heineken plays, I want him to to win. But they fucking sat him because he didn't. He did not play good this week um, for Atlanta. He didn't play good at all. He had a good rushing touchdown. He threw a touchdown also, but the picks he threw were fucking horrible. Yeah, no, it was it it was, it was a rough game for him. Our it next, was, game, it really was. But every every yeah. quarterback has that. But if you were to actually fucking start him like you should have been, that shit should have been gone. Our next game is the Jaguars and Titans. This one's a sneaky game because I think Vrabel doesn't like he doesn't like losing. I think he's going to throw the kitchen sink out to try to to spoil the Jag season because the Jags need this win. They still need another win to win. Well, the I, I, well the the Titans starting quarterback, the kid, he's not playing. Yeah, it's probably going to be Ryan Tannehill. Maybe we see a little bit of Malik Wilson this game. I think Vrabel's going to throw everything he can at the Jaguars to try to spoil the season. I still think the Jags win though. I think it might be uncomfortable. So if the Jaguars lose, then what happens? Uh, there's a lot of scenarios. I think they can be a wild card team, but it, it that's when things really start to get wild, is if the Titans beat the Jags. Okay. I don't know who I'm picking, so um, I'm just going to go ahead and not pick. Okay, and then we have Seattle, the Seattle Seahawks, going to Arizona to play the Cardinals. Seattle's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Okay. Seattle can still make the playoffs. They need, a, I believe, a win and a Packers loss. Uh, this is a big game for Seattle. I think, I think they, I, I think Arizona will give them a tough game. I think Seattle will ultimately win because I think they have a little bit more talent than the Cardinals. Well, I'm going with Pete Carroll. We have Bears at Packers. Packers can win and make the playoffs. If they lose, then things become more complicated. They need teams like Seattle to lose. Uh, but the Packers, it's easy. You win and you're in. I will pick the Bears in this game. I think they spoil the Packers season. I'm going with you on that too, Jess. I don't, I don't, I don't trust Matt in the first coaching for this year. Well, I just think Justin Fields, this is this is the type of game, if you're Justin Fields and you want to return as the Bears starter, him spoiling the Packers season, it's going to be really hard to get rid of him if he has a strong game. Despite right. despite, despite the hype for a Caleb Williams or Drake May, if he spoils the Packers season and they, what, I think they this would have been two or three in a row to end the season, eight and nine, I think you almost have to keep him. Our next okay. game, the Denver Broncos go to the Las Vegas Raiders. Vegas is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I think Vegas will win this game. I think it'll be ugly and sloppy. I think Vegas gets this win, though. I'm going with the Raiders. We have the Eagles going to New York to play the Giants. Eagles are a five-point favorite. Eagles need to win to keep their hopes of winning the NFC South, or the NFC East, excuse me, alive. 
I will go with the Eagles in this game, but the last time these two teams played, it was very uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Eagles as well. Um, but I can see Tommy DeVito coming back. Hey. We have the Rams against the 49ers. Uh, the Los, Angeles, Los Angeles Rams go to San Francisco to play the 49ers. 49ers are a three-point favorite. I would expect both teams to rest their players because I don't think either of them can move up. I will go with the 49ers just because I think they have a little bit better of a roster, but this game could go either way. I'm with you on that. Um, the, the Rams are officially locked in for for the playoffs, um, but I do trust the back of quarterback for the 49ers more so than um, the Rams. And we've already saw the guy from the Rams play this year. Yeah, it'll be Sam Darnold for the 49ers if he, if he does get in to play for Purdy. Yeah. Then we have the Dallas Cowboys going to Washington to play the Commanders and what may be the last game for the Commanders as the Commanders. Dallas is a 13-point favorite. I think Dallas wins this even if they play their backups. I will doubt Dallas has because they need a win to be the two seed, but it would not shock me if by halftime Dallas gets to play their backups because I think Commanders stink. I'm with you on that too. And when that happens, hopefully next week, I get to see Ron Rivera finally get fired after three fucking seasons. Our next game, the Chiefs go to Los Angeles to play the Chargers. Chiefs cannot move up. They're locked into the three seed. I expect them to rest their starters. Chargers are a three-point favorite. This feels like it's going to be a close game. I don't know because I don't think the Chargers are that good. They have they have new pieces basically everywhere because they fired Brandon Staley. It's probably going to be Blaine Gabbert versus Easton Stick, but this is the type of game where Andy Reid draws some stuff up for one of his backup running backs, and he has 150 yards. And I think it'll be a close game. I think the Chargers probably win, but this is the type of game where Andy has – a really good game is when his backups are going to play and he knows his backups are going to play. It feels like he gets super creative. Right. Yeah, you know what? I'll change. I'll actually go with the Chiefs. I think Gabbert leads him to a win. I'm going to go with the Chiefs as well. And then our Sunday night game, the Buffalo Bills uh, go to Miami to play the Dolphins. This is for a playoff spot, f- at least for the Buffalo Bills. The Dolphins are guaranteed to be in the playoffs, but they can win the division and have a home playoff game, be the two seed with a win on Sunday night football at home in Miami. Buffalo is a three-point favorite. I think everyone is going to pick Buffalo to win this game, but if they play anything like they had the last couple of weeks, I think Miami will will have a sneaky win here. I myself am going with Miami. I yeah, I am also going my with Miami mainly because I've not liked what I've seen out of Buffalo. This is Buffalo's chance though. You're playing in a big game. If you're Josh Allen, you can't you can't be as bad as you've been the last couple of weeks. <laughs> is that all the games for the for the for next week for the final week of the season? That, that is it for the 2023 regular season. Well, here I am. I've been trying to go, and I forgot I had one more thing to talk about. That wraps up everything for the NFL, and I can't wait for next week. But the news hit this past weekend regarding the new spring football league that has merged the USFL and the XFL into the new spring football league called the UFL, the United Football League. They have announced their teams for, for each conference. You will still have an XFL conference and a USFL conference. You have the Birmingham Stallions underneath the USFL conference, the Houston Roughnecks, who came over from the XFL, replacing the Houston Gamblers, the Memphis Showboats, and the Michigan Panthers. For the XFL conference, you have the Arlington Renegades, the D.C. Defenders, San Antonio Brahmas, and the St. Louis Battlehawks. Regarding the, the, the San Antonio Brahmas, Heinz Ward is no longer the, NFL, the, the, the UFL head coach for that franchise because they could not come to terms on a contract agreement. Therefore, Wade Phillips from the Houston Roughnecks has replaced Heinz Ward. Bob Stoops is still the head coach of the Arlington Renegades. Reggie Bottle is still the head coach of the D.C. Defenders. Anthony Beck is still the head coach of the St. Louis Battlehawks. Um, what else do we have here? 
the Orlando Guardians are no longer a team. The Las Vegas Vipers are no longer a team. The Seattle Sea Dragons, sadly, one of my favorite franchises, is no longer a team. Who else is missing? I don't remember. Wasn't there a team in Tampa? Or was it Orlando Guardians? Oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to think. The league returns March 30th, and it'll be featured, thankfully, on the big networks on Fox, ESPN, ABC, and FS1. This is good news for fans who don't want to have to search for, for games on FX or FXX or wherever the hell it is now. They got 10 fucking X's in the, in the name um, for the channel. So the, the, the league returns or the, mer- the new merged league returns March 30th where you have the USFL champion Stallions versus the XFL champion Renegades in game one of the, of the season, which should be very, very exciting. Um, anything else you want to add to this, Jess? Uh, no, I think it'll be interesting to see how quickly this is all going to come together and how good, like how good the presentation of the new league actually is, because it feels like it, I know it's March 30th, but that's really quick. And it feels like this stuff has been kind of delayed coming out. So I'm interested to see how, how good the product is. And if it's anything improved, maybe from what the XFL and USFL were doing. Well, I'm not a fan of the rock being the owner or nor Danny Garcia. They have done a horrible job at marketing and promotion um, regarding the league, their contract negotiations with the networks, this is the reason why you still have Vince McMahon, or you should have had Vince McMahon come back in the league to do these kinds of things because they completely dropped the ball. Um, let's hope that going forward, it has not been announced yet, whether or not the league will play by USFL rules or the XFL rules. Um, I'm hoping it's, it's for the XFL because it makes it different. It makes it fresher. And here are the, uh, the coaches for the USFL. For the Stallions, it's Skip Holtz. And for the Roughnecks, it's Curtis Johnson. For the Showboats, it's John Delafipo, uh, De and it's Mike Nolan for the Panthers. Those are the coaches for the USFL. Um, the United Football League, the premier spring football league today, announced the Arlington Renegades as one of eight teams competing in its inaugural season kicking off on March 30th. The Renegades will look to defend their 2023 championship under the helm of head coach Bob Stoops um, when the season kicks off this spring. Houston was the one overlapping market between the XFL and USFL, and it was one of the strongest markets for both leagues. As a result, the USFL Houston Gamblers have been rebranded as the Houston Roughnecks. The, UFL, the UFL's 10-game regular season will start on Saturday, March 30th, 2024, with a battle between the player that the teams already announced. Players will re- report to spring training camp on Saturday, February 24th, 2024, in Arlington, Texas, in the hub. And that's all I got on that, Jess. Pretty sad the Seattle Sea Dragons are no longer a team. Oh, yeah, no, they, they were very fun last year. Uh, that's tough. And I hope this league succeeds, but I don't think it can go anywhere with, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Danny Garcia, or at least Dwayne think, Johnson having any involvement. I just think you're a hater. I think that's what it is. Well, um, anything else you want to add, Jess? Uh, no, I think we're in for an interesting final week. There's some interesting playoff scenarios and a lot of backup football. Though. We're probably going to see a lot of backup players playing football. Yes, sir. Anything you want to add on the UFL? Uh, a lot of backup players playing football. <laughs> we will be covering that as well, I think. Correct, Jess? Yes, we will. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Happy New Year. Much love. God bless. Thank you for listening to us. Um, We will see you next week with our award show of who gets what. And And a player. And a what? And a player. And a a playoff preview. Excuse me. And a playoff preview. Yes, sir. Thank you, everybody. God bless. Happy New Year. Jesse, same thing to you. And I will see you next week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. You don't stop. What's happening in the world today? You don't. You don't, you don't.
We need to make a change one day. 